This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Delivery. so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello guys and welcome to a very, very special edition of the Stacey West podcast. I am your host Ben. I'm here with Gaz. How you doing? Yeah, I'm impressed. That was such a spontaneous outburst of applause. <laughs> That's a wonderful welcome. We weren't expecting that at all, so thank you very much. Indeed. No, I'm, I'm doing very well. Yeah, it's super special, because we've got a super special guest. Yeah. Not Liam, who's on it every week, wherever <laughs> he is. Yeah, Liam needs to get his numbers back up, because uh, I think Jake's overtaken him at this point. But, yeah, it is a very special one, because we're joined by Mr. Mark Kennedy. How are we doing? I'm very well. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I say... Very, very special evening. Uh, we are live in the uh, in the Travis Perkins suite with um, with a number of guests. So that was, you know, very spontaneous round of applause. Much appreciated. Um, so, um, yeah, we're here to obviously talk to Mark and uh, discuss various aspects of his career. Um, if you if you'd be uh, all right with starting straight away. You can ask me anything you want. Well, I mean, let's start. Let's, let's start topical because obviously there's been a bit of news around the football club today. Um, obviously, we've signed uh, Tashan Oakley Booth. I hope I've got that right without checking my notes. You have indeed. Boom, Ben. That's how it's done. Um, obviously, a player that's played a little bit for Stoke in the Championship. I just wondered. Uh, we've had a presentation from yourself about the things you look for in a player. What is it about this player that you've seen that's going to add to you to the Mark Kennedy approach? Um, I think in, in a number of things, to be honest. I mean, he's technically, technically excellent. He's somebody I've known from when I was working at Wolves, playing in the, uh, coaching the 23s when he was at Tottenham. So I've seen him firsthand live. He's obviously come with an outstanding background and upbringing in terms of his development. Um, athletically, he's fantastic. He can play in a number of positions. Um, he's an intelligent boy as well. And one of the big things that's really important to myself and, and the club He's a really good person, and that to me is really important when we're bringing players in. Um, I've said this many times, it's all well and good having really good players, but if they're not good people, they can upset your your squad, and that's one thing I think the club can be very proud of. We've got a, an outstanding group of, of young players and, 
and older players. Um, but I think he's a really, really exciting player. And uh, I don't say this lightly, and I, t- I told Tashan this, when I was at Wolves coaching, um, I, was, I, was, I, I had to take, uh, just step in for Rob Edwards, who'd left to go to, to England. So I, I did about 12 games, but we had a, an absolutely incredible run of teams to play. And, you know, one of my plans was to go into to coaching and that. So um, I, I'd started to write down some names. Well, Tash Adams, he was actually one of the first names I wrote down that I, I thought, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep my eye on you. So once we knew he became available, it was like, wow, how, how ironic. It's football manager stuff, though, isn't it? We've all done that, and we're playing football manager on our notes. Absolutely. Um, and another, obviously, another big announcement today: uh, assistant head coach come in in Mike Garrity. Um, on paper, to to the average fan, looks very, very impressive. But from from your point of view, um, kind of, what does he bring? What does he add? What were, what are his strengths? And Mike's announced that. Well, for again, really good guy, really important that we can. We we, we he will integrate in, integrate to the group of staff and, and players that we've got. So again, really important. But you know, he's got fantastic. Um, He's a fantastic coach, an outstanding coach, got a great reputation. Um, tactically, incredibly experienced, comes with um, a huge amount of experience and background, but somebody who really understands the game. And I think that's been, it's easy to say that, but I think when you look at evidently the last couple of years in terms of what they've done last year at Blackpool with Neil and, and the promotion he's had, and if you look at then his, his background to where he's been and um, obviously spent a lot of time in Liverpool and being abroad which to me I like because it shows ambition it, it, it shows me that somebody's prepared to do something different and go and test themselves and see different cultures and, and that so I think he'll be an outstanding addition to, to what's already a very good um, staffing uh, team that we've got and we, we are actually very very lucky to get somebody of that calibre there's no doubt I mean Lincoln's very attractive there's no doubt about it but um, a, we're very lucky to have Mike come in, but it also shows you the growth in the club of where it's going as well. And I, I find it interesting. Sorry, this isn't on the sheet, by the way. I'm going off piece already. Um, you talk about Powdy was your number one target. You talk about Tashan being on the list. Was it was Mike someone that was always in your mind that when you went into a head coach role would be somebody you'd like to attract? I, it definitely somebody we'd like to attract, and I don't want to say he wasn't because it sounds like. Um, you know, we, we'd no interest in, but obviously his situation changed quite quickly. So I'm not going to stand up in here and lie and say, we, you know, it's very difficult to get somebody from a championship club. It's somebody we're all aware of. Um, you know, I had a chance to speak to him at the at the back end of last season. We played Blackpool quite late, um, so I know the guys there. I know of Mike, our parts cross. But as soon as we were aware of his availability, there was an instant conversation, an instant connection. And what I'm really pleased to say that it wasn't a one-way street. There was also a connection from his part to come and talk to us as well. So, it, 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 And that, to me, is really important. I think I talk to Jez about this a lot. Um, when we bring players in and staff, I have a big thing, big bee in my bonnet. They have to want to come and be part of Lincoln. That's really important to me. I, we're not here to do people favours. This is a really, really attractive club heading in the right direction it's got a brilliant board, brilliant set of supporters, you know, a fantastic infrastructure. And I really am passionate about people wanting to come here. Uh, and, and that was really evident with Mike as well. So, Go on, Ben, you've got a question. Yeah, I'll talk. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've been back in pre-season training for a couple of days now. And you know, how's that been? Uh, have you had any, not necessarily issues, but how have the players reacted to some of the new ideas that you're bringing through? Um, have you had any, any struggles? 
Well, um, the good thing about being a head coach is they don't tell you if they do. But um, no, we've, we, I'd, we have got a really good group of players and um, a really ambitious group of players. As, as we've discussed already previous, when you look at the blueprint and what we're looking to, looking to achieve, it is predominantly a young group. And they're just desperate to learn, sponges, constantly asking questions, constantly embracing new ideas. Um, and it shouldn't really matter who comes in. They have to be ambitious to push themselves and stretch themselves and challenge themselves. And I think, again, that boils down to the character of the person that we've got, that we've got good people in the door. And um, so, yeah, they've been really, really receptive to myself, which is great, and also to the other new staff because it, it's not just me. There's a, if you look around the club and the, stru- and the, and the staff and structure, there's, there's been, I don't want to use the word an overhaul because it's not like that, but certainly... There's been quite um, quite a number of new people coming in, and they've been, they've been really receptive to everybody. Um, and what what has been the biggest challenge that you faced in the short time that you've been here, um, and how much of a shift has there been from you being kind of almost like a, a backstage role to almost being like the face of the club? Have you found that? The reason I'm pausing is because I don't want to. I, I wouldn't like to think anybody sit up here and think we're, we're smug or patronised but I haven't had any challenges it's been really really good one of the reasons I'm here is because of the things I knew about the club before I came in how attractive it is to a young manager because of the infrastructures and the frameworks they've already got then I suppose I know you you, you know that when a, when a club speaks to a coach there is a lot of dialogue but we, we had a hell of a lot of time talking about how the club works, what it looks like, the vision, what they want to achieve, where they've been, where they've come from, where they want to go to. So to get to this point where we are here today, there has to be a connection between myself and the people, but also a huge connection and alignment in what it looks like for each of us. So I suppose from that point of view, when you walked in, there's so many boxes ticked to how you see things and what you want to do. So um, it's, it's been thoroughly enjoyable and something that I was looking forward to embracing and now that I'm here, I feel very honoured, privileged and lucky to be here, but while also recognising that I've recognised that I actually worked my socks to get off here in the fir- to get here in the first place. So um, it's been great to answer the second part of your question. Um, being a number two, when I went to Birmingham, I said to, to Lee and Craig, I, I'm not a number two, I'm a number one, but I know what a number two is because I've been a footballer for 20 years. I've my closest relationship tends to be with the coach because he's the one that's doing all the work. I know what it looks like. I know what it is. Coaching for 10 years, I've always had a number two beside me. So I know what I demand and what I want. So I think it's easier for a number one to be a number two than for a number two to be a number one. Some people don't want it. Some people don't like it. Some people get kind of pushed into that and it's not what they want. And um, But the biggest plus is being in a position to make those decisions and, and, and implementing the things that you want to do. As a number two, there will be things that you would do differently, naturally, because we're all different human beings and you would probably do, might be formation, playing somebody here, playing somebody there. And you don't always get to pick the team. <laughs> so, um, But it, it's something I enjoy and something I embrace and uh, something I'm really looking forward to. But I was always clear in my head the day I started coaching, I want to be a number one. 
I like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Absolute certainty and clarity. Um, obviously, you came in big, uh, beginning of May, I think it was now. So I'm assuming no summer holiday, which must have been tough. No whatsoever. No. Well, yeah, my, yeah, my heart bleeds. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I was interested, obviously, you've been around the EPC for, for kind of five, six weeks. Um, the players haven't been there. You know, aside from recruitment, what sort of things have been taking up your time? What sort of frameworks have you brought that have gone in along the existing kind of structure at the club? Obviously, my, my job it, it is massively being around recruitment, meeting people, getting to know people. Um, a lot of time spent with Jez, with Liam, actually meeting other board members. There's been several meetings up there. You know, then outside of that, is for myself, looking at properties, I think it's a really important that I embrace Lincoln, I embrace the club. Um, I become part of what you are. I'm going to move here. I'm going to live here. I'm not going to be travelling up and down the road every day. It's not going to happen. So away from the football side, there's been other things as well. Um, I suppose the hard part is you just want to go and coach. So the thing that I've been brought in to do, it's nobody's fault. I've not been able to do. But outside of that, it's been really just connecting with, with Liam and Jez on various different minor things, which I won't bore you with and stuff like that. It's, you know, just general stuff that you need to do. But we've just made a huge emphasis on really cracking on with the re re recruitment and, and getting some things done. Because when I came in, it was quite frustrating because I've come in, I'm the coach, I've been in a few weeks and I desperately want to give you a sign. And we, we desperately, collectively, Liam and Jez, we don't want to look like we're not. But there's so much work going on in the background. You just want to get that one signing in to say, yeah, here we go, we're off and running and, and give you, ladies and gentlemen, something to cheer about. So... Um, but yeah, heavily geared around recruitment, I would say. And just again, going off sheet, uh, the sheet a little bit, you're not on Twitter, are you? I'm not on. No. I'm on LinkedIn, but somebody tells me that's a. It's not social media; it's a platform. Is uh, that right? I, I, I honestly don't know about okay. LinkedIn. I'm, I'm not on, on LinkedIn, social media. I think I'm on it as well. There, there is somebody on Twitter as me, but it's not me. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. I did notice there was an account and he kept talking about Phil Babb quite a lot. Yeah, it's it's not me. I have read it. It's quite good, actually. I, I was just with the comment about wanting to do a sign-in. It just reminded me of Twitter every single day uh, when somebody <laughs> comes on going, do a sign-in. I thought maybe you'd be influenced by that. So, can't uh, can't, can't help you. I don't read it. Um, well, while I was on Twitter, um, nice little segue, uh, I obviously read an athletic interview uh, that you did. And I, the quote <coughs> really got me. I think you said, if Lincoln is successful, it'll be down to what we've done. But if not, that'll be down to you. Um, I mean, that's quite a bold statement. And that's ownership of you know, something that goes on before it goes wrong. Do you really, yeah, you've got that sort of strength of belief in the framework at this club? Yeah, but, you know, something I have to be careful. I mean that 100% and I'm not going to backtrack. The, the reason I said that is when you look at, I mean, you, obviously you guys have been here before, you've watched what Jez has presented here. What, what I love about the club, and this has been really good for me, that when we've signed players and we've presented to them, I've been able to ring the back up and go, you know what we've shown you, that's not a pitch, that is real, that's what lives and breeds every day. So you've seen that yourself, so... You, you guys have had uh, a snippet of what goes on in the background, but it is a collective effort. It's going to take both of us to make it work. So I mean everything I say, trust me, but it will need myself, the, the team, the fans, the board, the whole Lincoln family to make it work. So yes, I meant every word I said, but, but, but trust me, it's got, to be a, it's got to be a partnership. It's got to be a marriage to make it, you know, to make a marriage work, it takes two people or three if you're into that sort of thing, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> But that's what it's got to be, you know. 
we, we, we've stopped all that in our house. <laughs> I'm glad my partner yeah. V didn't come tonight after this. Yeah. Um, yeah, go on, Karen. <laughs> this is going off onto stop, a whole stop, different, very different podcast now. Um, but how have you found Lincoln as a, as a city since you've been here? You know, uh, have you, uh, where are we? So, uh, is there anything that you've, you've seen that you enjoyed or anything that you've not seen that you, you want to or anything you've not done that you want to do yet? Yeah, I learned very quickly not to walk through Lincoln on a Friday night with your kit and your initials on. And <laughs> 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 about 20 people screaming, hello, gaffer. <laughs> so I won't be doing that again. I've not had a chance to look at the city as a whole because, you know, in football it is literally... And I hope your heart doesn't bleed again, but it is 24-7, it's constant. So <laughs> I've not had a chance to really see this city and, you know, I know a lot, well, I hear a lot about its history and various different things. So it's something I'm looking forward to and it's something I'm looking forward to my kids and my wife coming to see. Excellent, very good. And have you, have you found anywhere yet or is that kind of a... I'm, well, I'm supposed to have moved in somewhere today about four hours ago. <laughs> so I'm heading off there tonight. <laughs> So was that Jersey's presentation has just overrun that much? No, so, no, no. Um, look, this might seem an obvious question, <coughs> but you know, what are your kind of key aims for the season um, sort of going forward? First, maybe in, maybe in portions, you know, in terms of getting a good start and then in terms of the long-term project. Yeah, look, ultimately, we're here to win games of football. There's, there's no doubt about it, but we want to do it the Lincoln way. We want to do it in style. We want to do it where we're playing a brand of football that gets people off the seats. But ultimately, we want to continue to grow the club um, if you look at the, 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 the curve, the trajectory of how the club's gone in the last five to ten years, we want to continue that growth. Um, but we need to do it in a way that the fans and the people can, can connect with and, and what they expect. And, and that's playing good, progressive, really aggressive, attractive football. While we'll continue to work and develop our own players and bring those young players through. I find that interesting um, about the, the kind of connection with the fans because I think to a certain degree, uh, without going back over all ground, there may be a feeling that at times in the past that connection may have eroded somewhat. I mean, are, are you the sort of person that will be kind of out in the community as well? Are you a, are you a fist pumper? Are you all that sort of thing? I, I, think it's, I think it's really important that, and I know the club do this, but I think it's really important that we connect with the fans and that we know that they know that we're one of them. I mean, don't forget, I was a fan myself. Like, one of the there's very few things to dislike about football, but one of the one of the things I disliked about football it took the fan out of me, because it becomes a job and it became. I didn't actually enjoy. I've openly said this. I didn't. I loved when I was a kid watching Ireland play. It was just so amazing. And then I, I become lucky enough to get to that level. And actually, when I got called up to the squad, I used to say I was injured. I, I ended up hating it in the end, which I won't bore you with. It's irrelevant. But you, so I understand what it's like to be a fan. I understand what it means to the club. I understand what it means to be part of something. I'm, I'm a huge, huge football fan. So it's easy to understand what they want and the connection. It's easy for me to understand that I have to be accessible. Not have to be, I want to be accessible and available. And um, I, I've just always struggled with the, 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 the manager, the gaffer, don't go near him. I'm just a normal guy like everybody else. And it's important that I want you to see that from me. Yes, I'm the head coach. Yes, I'm driven. Yes, I'm ambitious. Yes, I can be ruthless 100%. But actually, I'm just a normal, nice guy like everybody else. Cool. Um, sorry to... 
drag it down a little bit, but if we're all right to maybe talk about Macclesfield for a little bit. Absolutely. Um, obviously, it was it was difficult for you while you were there. Um, there were the financial problems and everything else that was going on. Um, but what what kind of stuff were you facing on a daily basis when you were there? Um, so with it, so th- within obviously no one got paid, so that was constant and. Unfortunately, the, 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 you know, football looks bells and whistles and all that, but when you go down to the lower pyramid, like I had a player who I offered a contract to, and in the end, I said to my, I actually can't give you that contract because it's so poor, it's so low, like you will earn so much more money playing part-time and, and having an education, a bright kid, and I was saying, like, I, I wouldn't let my son do that, and, I, and it was kind of hard trying to explain to him. I was trying to take not his dream away, so the financial thing was a problem because the, the guys, they, don't, they didn't earn vast sums of money. They, I, I actually would imagine a lot of them would have been better off getting a job and they've got mortgages, bills to pay. You know, we'd never bring them in on a Sunday because they didn't have the money that they could all live in Macclesfield. A lot of them lived in Birmingham. They couldn't afford the petrol. Then they're not getting paid. Then there's outside influences from naturally wives are worried and kids and various different things. So... It was it was a really really tough environment from a mental well-being side for those guys. So just constantly trying to reassure them with various different things. We'd have four different training grounds in a week. Um, you know, no one paying for them. Uh, my technical director who brought me in. Don't do this to me, Jez. By the way, <laughs> he left two weeks after I came in. Then the transfer window closed on, say, the last day in January. Four days, about two weeks later, four players just resigned and walked out. You know, every day, because the guys weren't getting paid, I got it. They just constantly wanted a strike because they felt, you know, what else can we do? And the problem I had with that was, I was saying to them, I will do anything for you. I'll back you. I'll do anything you want. It's not a problem. If you want a week off, I'll give you a week off. If you need help here, I'll help you. But you cannot take the football away from me. That's the only thing I can control. And I just said to him, if you strike, I'm gone. I'm, walk- I'm not walking out, but I'm leaving. So it was just constant all the time, everything. Um, and, and the mental thing was a big thing for the players because, you know, this had been going on for, for, for two years, like, and I, I was new to it. But, you know, and you could see if you conceded a goal, it was just like sticking a pin in a balloon. So um, it, it was an everyday battle, but... You know, there, there, there was certainly worse things going on in life than, you know, you got paid event, guys, you get your money, you're, you're supported by the PFA, that you will get your money, but it, it was difficult, but it was something I, I took the job because of that. I took the job to gain the experience, to understand what crisis management looks like, to challenge myself, to stretch myself. And it sounds weird, but I absolutely loved it. And we achieved what we set out to achieve, which was to stay in the league, and we stayed in the league. Unfortunately, they got relegated in the end through financial irregularities and stuff like that. But it was a brilliant experience. Plus, you beat Forest Green, um, which <laughs> <laughs> beat Forest Green two one, which, which, which was the result that kept you out the bottom two, I think. So you'll always get a round of applause for that. I, I, sorry, I did find it interesting because you, you said you needed to see that crisis management. <coughs> so do you actually feel a, a kind of a better head coach and in a better position as Lincoln City head coach for having had that experience? Absolutely. So any experience to me is a good experience. And uh, as long as you learn, I, I wouldn't wish a bad experience on anybody, but you can still learn and gain something from it. 
Um, so absolutely, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly much better off because of it. And I suppose I'm not blowing smoke up anybody's backside, but <coughs> you know, this is just such a well-run club. Those things just don't exist here. Of course, they have the challenges and stuff like that, and parameters that the guys have to walk in. But you know, it's, a, it's, it's an outstandingly well-run club, which makes it just so easy. Um, so you with Birmingham last season? Um, it was, in fairness, probably a, a, quite a tough season for the club. Um, and was there a point during that season where you decided that it was time to go out on your own? Um, or was it sort of in your mind that you'd be looking for a head coach role in the summer? It just Apologies, but just going back to the day I went in coach and I knew, I'm not saying I am the best number one, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. So even the day I took the job, I'd, I'd said to Lee, hey, repeat myself, apologies, I'm not number two, but you know, when that, if that opportunity presents itself, that's what I want to do. So a big thing for me with people is to be honest and transparent. And if you do that, it's very difficult to go wrong. Nobody can turn around and say, well, I, I didn't know that. You didn't tell me that. So, um, and it was just Wilson. And also, Lee did, I played with Lee, but he didn't actually know me that well. So I thought it was important for him um, to get to know me. And he might come back in 12 months' time and say, you, you're actually not the guy for me. Um, so I felt it. So I, I signed a 12-month deal. So he had that option to see if it, if it doesn't work for you. Um, but yeah, the clarity on what I wanted to do was, was always there. Let's, let's strip it right back then. So let's go to the end of the playing career. Um, and, and when you and I spoke um, on the first couple of days after you were appointed, I think you said a, a manager had put the idea in your mind, you know, do you want to move into coaching? Um, so kind of, and then you, you took the step back and you went back to youth football. Now, I know you, you may have gone over it in interviews, but for kind of the good people here, it's, what benefits did you find from going right back to the start? What, what prompted that decision? Um, I was doing my pro licence. Um, so there's 80 pro licences, coaching courses. I think there was 18 candidates on it. And, and there was one guy on it. There's lots of great guys on it. But, you know, there's a, there was one guy and it was really high-end coach. And I was chatting to him one day saying, like, how have you ended up? In the, how did you get from there to there? And he just talked to me about his pathway and what he did. And he, he'd basically been an under-16s coach for about 10 years. And then from that, um, he, he got headhunted by a couple of clubs and, and ended up actually as an under-16s coach in England. And then basically an avenue opened up where a first-team manager leaves, stuff like that. And he's, he's now one of, you know, one of the best coaches in, uh, in the world, I would say. I was just lucky I happened to be on his course. So when I spoke to him, I thought I was a first-team coach at Ipswich. So I was working with the first team. Everything was great. Sounds looks great on paper, but I actually didn't know anything about a coach. I didn't know anything. See what Jez has presented there. I wouldn't have had a. I didn't know anything about that. And we talk about patterns of play and periodization and methodology and how you implement it and put an individual development plan. So like Tashan will have an individual development plan. It's my job to make his development plan work in the week where we're trying to win a game of football. What does it look like in six weeks? How do we measure it? How do we gauge it? How do we improve it? Um, I hadn't a clue about any of that. I was just an ex-footballer who'd now... Somebody said, I like you, and I think you're going to be really... I think the, more so the coach probably seen his... How he got into coaching. I think he wanted to help me more than anything. But I just thought, you don't actually know anything about coaching. So I, I spoke with this guy, listened to his story, and I thought... I've, I've got to leave, I've got to go back and I've got to go to an academy and basically start my apprenticeship. So that's what I did. 
it was a pretty easy thing to do, to be honest. Like, it might sound odd, but it's, it's, when you break it down, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, I think, I mean, the theory of it sounds obvious, but it sounds like a difficult thing to go from somebody who, and we're not going to touch too much on your playing career, but, you know, played for Liverpool, wore a white suit, I think, at Wembley, which still maybe... Got it. You still got that still suit, got got suit. And I still fit in it. Did you? Oh, wow. <laughs> Do you know what? I bet that would still a fortune on eBay, wouldn't it? I've no idea. Uh, Dave, those white idea. suits are famous throughout the world yeah, for being um, terrible, but <laughs> you wore it. I didn't pick it. You wore it far better than some of the other Liverpool pick players, it. dare Too I say, kind. in a completely straight way. Um, but no, from, from seriously, from, from you know playing at Liverpool, from representing uh, your country, from playing at the top level, making million-pound moves time and again, to kind of just voluntarily take that step back. You say it, was, it sounds easy, but to me, it actually sounds quite brave. Um, I don't know, to be honest. I mean, it, even if I wasn't sat here and I didn't have this great opportunity I would still say the same it's just about learning and you know you you I would find it impossible to think how you couldn't think you won't be a better coach for it I mean if you think about what I said I, I didn't actually know what I was doing I didn't know what anything looked like so that to me is common sense it's a bit like going to school isn't it I would imagine <laughs> I didn't mean... I went to school, by the way. I did go to school. <laughs> Sorry, I did go to school. I didn't mean that. I think, I think we're, we're more or less coming to... Yeah. Well, I mean, that, well, you think you are. I could chat to Mark all night. Um, well, yeah. Because I, I, I said I'd do this. I know you, you come across as somebody that doesn't want to name drop. You're kind of, you know, respectful in that. But just for the, the people sat here, I've got a list of people you played <coughs> under. Roy Evans, Joe Royal, Dave Jones, Glenn Hoddle, Peter Taylor, Paul Jewell, Mick McCarthy, Roy Keane... You know, I mean, this is a this is a who's who of, of English football management and coaching. You know, from the nineties through the noughties. Which of those, if any, have kind of stood out? Have any of those particularly influenced you as a coach in your journey? I, I have an unbelievably close, which Jez is probably bored of. I talk about him all the time, but I have an incredibly close relationship with Mick McCarthy. Um, I've known Mick since I was 16. He brought me to England. He treated me like a son. He still does today. So, you know, I've a, 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 a an amazing relationship with him that I'm really, really proud of. And he, and he's, you know, really successful guy as a, as a as a manager. And the interesting thing about Mick is he'd never tell you as a coach. He's how I'm, I'm a manager, and that's what I'm good at. Um, he he was absolutely brilliant. They all were fantastic and. Dave Jones was interesting because Dave never did any coaching, but he just had an unbelievable eye for players. And, he, you know, when he put teams together, you know, every player he seemed to get seemed to work. And he'd always get enigmas, you know, players who, like a Michael Chopper, myself, I wasn't playing. I was almost in the last chance saloon. Ross McCormack, who went on to have a great career. I think Villa paid 10 million from Jay Bothroyd. Nobody touched, went and played for England when he was, he was really good at stuff like that. So they all are different things. In terms of coach, Glenn Hoddle was amazing. He was so ahead of his time. So the stuff that we're talking about here in 2022, you know, he, he, I won't say he was doing that, but the, the mindset and the principles of what he was doing, he was doing back in 2005. A r- really impressive guy. Um, but they all, all have different things. And some of them, I can, although they might say, there's a couple in there that I really didn't like, but I learned so much from them. 
I won't name them, but you know, <laughs> I, won't, I won't push it either. This is going out as well. So, um, I, sorry, I'm going to pick up because obviously the guys here have heard it, but the podcast will go out and there'll be a lot of other listeners who, who won't. So, um, obviously, we've just talked about the structure of the football club, and one thing that I found really interesting was the. Um, the diagram at the end where you were talking about going for cup competitions but also giving young players um, a, a kind of experience. Will we expect, I know it's coming out of left, will we expect to see a bench that features some young players you know, or will we be looking at that, those kind of youth team players perhaps getting exposure? So something that's really important is it, it, it's evident and obvious that that's what we want to do and, and that's the, the the vision and the thought process behind the club and myself. That's what we, But they have to be good enough. You know, you can't, like, my son's desperate to come in. He's not coming in. He's not good enough. So you have to be good enough, you know. You be listening to the podcast then? No, he'll be in bed asleep. Right. <laughs> um, so, the, you know, the, 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 they, well, the reason they're at the club is because we, we see something in them and, and they've absolutely got something, but... You know, you have to earn the right to get into that team. We don't just give things away. Again, we talk about challenges and, and motivation and we, we don't just give these things out. So um, everybody gets a fair crack of the whip. Everybody starts again. Age to me is nothing but a number. If you're good enough, it doesn't matter to me whether you're 16 or 20, it doesn't matter. But you have to earn the right to get in there in the first place, you know. So I don't think, well, I know... Jez and Liam and the, and the board, they're not going to be pushing me to put people in unless A, they're ready. Because also, you, you don't want a situation where you put people in and they're not ready and you can almost not kill them, but you can really fracture the, the mentality of where it is. So there's, a, there's a, a multitude of things you have to look at when you put a player in. It's not just about having the ability. Some players have got all the ability in the world but really struggling with the emotional side of it or, or will maybe not deal with the crowd and, and things like that. So there's a multitude of things you look at, but for me, they still have to be good enough. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Yeah. And just ask one, one final, final question. What does a night off look like for you? I've not had one yet. <laughs> <laughs> He's going back to that threesome thing. When you, <laughs> when you do, are you sort of a, an active man or are you just lays in front of the table <coughs> with a beer? Um, no, so in... in my, my off time is always, always, always with my, my, my wife and my kids. It's a huge, huge part of my life. Um, I'm pretty boring. I don't drink. I don't do anything excessive. I'm a, I play golf a lot when I can. But to me, it's just spending as much time as I can with my wife and my kids. My family are very young, so... Um, yeah, pre- it's a, I don't watch Netflix or Twitter or anything. I'm not on anything like that, so... It's really boring, I'm sorry. I've got nothing for you. That's all right. Well, I think, I don't know what time we are. How long have we been? Have we dragged on a little bit? 11 o'clock. Is, is that the time, is it? <laughs> no. the time. Um, so, look, what we're going to do, we're going to uh, have a brief recess so you can refill your glasses again and we'll set up for a question, uh, Q&A. But can I just say, Mark, thank you very much. Thank uh, you. For giving us your time. Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll break and be back shortly. Thank you. So we're going to go into a Q&A now. You have three wonderful people to ask questions of, Liam, Jez and Mark. Um, what we will have to do, I'll have to give Jake the microphone and he'll come over to you if you've got a question so that we can pick it up because it'll go out on the podcast. So if you pop your hand in the air as if you're at school, teacher Jake will come round uh, and ask, uh, let you ask your question. So if we could see a show of hands and we'll get started. Wow, that's gone well. Right. Let's move. 
Mark, uh, on a lighter note to start with, what sort of uh, touchline head coach will you be? Will you be a, uh, a whirling dervish running up, up and down the touchline to the fourth official? Or will you be uh, more restrained, leaning back on the dugout with your arms folded? Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not somebody... I'm definitely not somebody... I can't sit down. I will stand on the touchline. I hope this doesn't happen. But 5-0 down, 5-0 up. I'll be stood on the touchline. I like to connect with my players. Um, I coach a lot without complicating things. But I'm not somebody that flies up and down the touchline. I refuse to get involved with referees and linesmen. I don't think not going to change their mind, you're not going to influence them. Uh, but I am somebody who, I wouldn't say I'm animated, because I'm not, but I think you'll see a lot of hand movements. My wife, <laughs> I should say my wife takes the piss out of me now, but yeah, I'm definitely not somebody, I can't sit down and I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not quiet now. Who's next? Might as well just come and sit down here. Hi there. Um, um, mental well-being is really important in my line of work. I'm a teacher. Um, and I know football is a fine line, winning, losing, uh, ups and downs. And we've seen that over the last season, to be honest. Um, um, it's a question for everybody, really. How can we protect the well-being of everyone at Lincoln City? Can I just quickly answer that? I'm really big on emotional connection. I'm really big on having relationships with players and speaking to them. Constant dialogue. Uh, I've, I've touched on it already. I've, I've got three beautiful kids and players to me are my kids. And I say to them, I'll never love you like your mum and dad do. And you'll never love my kids like I do. But I'll always try and make decisions for you like you're one of my kids because you're normal human beings and I like to see people doing well. So that's something I'm really, really passionate about is having re that those relationships where players know that, yes, I am a head coach, but I actually really care about you. That's really important to me. I think two, two um, different parts of the question. So with the academy, um, it's become such a recognised requirement and, and uh, everybody understands the need um, to try and look after the exactly as you said that emotional well-being that there's now a, a particular role that's been included in the EPPP um, criteria moving forward so we'll actually be appointing someone specifically for that role for, to look after our academy players from from 8 to 18. Um, as Mark said I think the, the big thing we can do on a day-to-day -day basis is act like adults and, and what by that I mean is a really consistent approach like what happens in the life of a footballer whether you're a 18-year-old trying to make your way or you're a, you're a first-team player is they just experience massive highs, massive lows because look, the, the feedback's immediate, isn't it? Either in stadium or as soon as they turn on their phone when they get into the dressing room. So we just have to make sure we equalise that a little bit and you know don't get over high when we win, don't get over low when we lose. Make sure there's loads of communication. Make sure there's a number of people that they can talk to and connect to. We talk a lot about... It's not about our ego. doesn't matter who connects with a player as long as someone connects with a player so they can speak to them. So I just think first team level, environment's really, really important. The environment you create, knowing and having staff accessible to the players so that they can talk. They can talk about things that aren't related to football as well. And just a consistency in our approach so that... And that's part of that is language and hyperbole. You know, I, I laugh, say laugh, but... You hear people talking about disaster when it comes to losing a football match. I remember saying to the players last year, now that's disaster when you see what was happening in Ukraine. 
So get some perspective. It's a game. We love it. We want to win. We're really passionate about it. Makes a massive difference in loads of people's lives. Um, it's not a disaster. Yeah, com completely agree with um, what, what Jez and Mark has said there. But I think the one thing I would say, this, this goes outside of footballers, and as you've said, um, from a teaching background, you know, I, I'm really proud that we have a coaching environment and our whole club is set up um, to see people develop. You, you'll have seen recently, you know, we're, we're here set up by the, you know, the media boys. You know, see Charlie move on to, to McLaren, um, you know, incredibly proud of. Jordan Brown went to Manchester United. You know, Tom uh, went off to Liverpool. Um, so the whole philosophy of the football club is, is to set up around coaching development and, 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 you know, have talented young people come in our environment and hopefully they leave us better. So emotional well-being is, is incredibly important. I've got to say that equally we've got to make sure we're not, we're not soft as well. You know, the real world is tough. Um, my wife will tell you, uh, you know, my, my, my eldest son, he, he started school this year and, you know, watching him go through those trials and tribulations and, you know, you, you've got to make sure that the environment's realistic. So... Yeah, I think, you know, without labouring the point, everything that Jez and Mark have said, um, we've got to be there to catch people, but we've equally got to set, you know, the bar high enough that we're in a professional sport, we're in a competitive environment um, where you're given a live appraisal at 5pm every Saturday evening. And that's tough to take at times, and we've got to build resilience, and we've got to ensure that we're set up to succeed. Um, but like I say, our, our job is to put wraparound care, that we're supporting people on that journey, and then to catch them um, if they fall. Anybody else? I've got a question if I can have that. Sorry, I know I've had my time, but there's no other hands up for the time being. So, uh, George Grant joined Hearts today. Uh, I understand there was a fee. Do we have a future interest in the player? Yes. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> good, yeah, that's, that's a good answer. Anybody else? <laughs> Um, Is this about corners? No, there's Margaret. <laughs> Margaret is in the salinity and she wants to know if you can celebrate in front of her <laughs> and get... No, I'm joking. Um, your background is with Academy Kids, um, bringing them through. And obviously, we haven't got the finances of your Sunderland's rips, which is how important is it now to bring the youth through, you know, from your 8s, 10s, 13s? And also, how important is it to get Lincoln lads through the system so that then eventually you can progress them and sell them on at the end of the day because that's what it is. Can I just say one comment before I pass to Mark? Just that for, for us, when, when we talk about Lincoln lads, we've got to be really careful how we define that, I think, in terms of academy. Because if we only want kids actually from Lincoln, there won't be enough chimney pots to give us enough players to come through to the level that we want. So we're allowed in the academy to spread our net to an hour and a half travel distance. So by doing that, suddenly we'll have a load of kids who can come through our own programme and be at a level where we can have multiple scholars every year rather than talking about one or two every three, four, five years. Now, uh, you, you have to define what homegrown means. So, you know, so, so for us, homegrown means been through our programme. So if we've got someone who joins at 10 years old but he has to commute from just this side of Nottingham, he's a homegrown player, even though his postcode's not LN, but he's come through our programme and we should be proud of him. But I also think we should be proud of if Oshin Gallagher comes through or Sean Rowan comes through, even though they might come from Ireland, they've still joined our programme and they've come through our development structure 
And I also think we've got to be proud of players who maybe join us a little bit later. So Charlie Kendall, who joined us as a really... Um, I mean, his, his attitude and his, and his personality are infectious. You know, his first couple of days with us. Um, but he's 21-year-old and he comes from Eastbourne. But he's still joining the club as a really talented young player, wanting to come through and play for Lincoln. So I totally understand your question. We're really, really committed. Hopefully you'll have seen the work that we've done in developing the academy. But for the academy to be successful, the net has to go a little bit wider than just Lincoln. And what that does for the best players, like a Hayden Cam will tell you, it's been brilliant for his development because he has to go mark Freddie Draper and Jovo Makama. And it will be brilliant for Denny Oliver's development that the standard and the development has gone up and the levels that they play in. And then once the quality of the boys goes up and the quality of the coaching goes up, then the quality of the games programme can go up because they can go and play Leicester and Villa and Man City and Liverpool and all these clubs. So by actually widening the, the net where you attract your, and recruit your players from, it helps the boys in Lincoln. But we have to be realistic with saying if we only had boys from Lincoln, it almost becomes counterproductive for the very best players to have the best chance, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, the only reason I said it about Lincoln was because I'm from Manchester. So seeing the class of 92 local lads who've been on the terraces it's for me as a man it's the best thing ever now I've been in Lincoln for like 16 years and I think it's brilliant to see your Hayden Khan you know if he makes it I think that'd be out of this world but I get what you're saying because my lad's there as well so I get and we want to give every single boy who's born in Lincoln the best chance and we'll do that by giving them the best players to train with and the best coaching and the best games programme and to do that we have to spread the net a little bit wider and all we've probably done a lot in the last three or four years is go to the west of Lincoln in our recruitment rather than only staying in Lincoln or east of Lincoln in our recruitment because once you go west you hit some conurbations and you hit some big population centres and you can sign a certain demographic of player that's different and you can have there's just simply more players. And what we've been quite smart with doing, and it's you know difficult because other clubs, in all honesty, would have done it to Lincoln in the past, is where programmes have closed because clubs have been in the National League. We've been very, very proactive in recruiting those players. So number of players have joined that programme, as I said, won't have an LM postcode, but will feel the same about this football club as anyone with an LM postcode. <coughs> But they also help the boys with their postcodes have the best chance of coming through as well. And that's what we all want. We want, as Mark says, they've got to be good enough. Um, we don't give out pro contracts out of sympathy or because of them coming through the academy. They've got to be at a level. And then to get in the team, like the bar's gone up so much in the last five, six years. You know that. But um, we've got some really talented boys who are going to give it a really good go. And the environment and, and Mark are going to help them to achieve that as well. Just one thing for me, it's it's a really good point, but when you talk about the class of 92, it's 30 years ago, it doesn't happen every three or four years, it's quite difficult, and I, me- I remember speaking to a, a, another director of football that had it abroad, with, and it was nice to hear him say a hugely, highly successful team, I was just lucky to be in a room and a thing, but it's something to be really, really proud of. My point is saying it was in 92. It, it's quite difficult. These generations, they generation, it's a long time, they don't just come around every year. It tends to be that sort of thing. Don't break me out, mate. I'm a Mancunian. It's a nightmare at the moment. I'm holding <laughs> on to that 92. Yeah, you know, so. Yeah. I will come back to you. actually got a couple of questions and they're kind of related. Um, it's they're sort of fairly topical. 
Um, so in the last week we've seen the fixtures released for the season ahead um, and at the same time we've almost seen fuel hit the £2 a litre uh, price. Um, so first question is related to the fixtures list. I wondered if there was any particular fixture Mark would be looking forward to and, and what reason, if it's a personal one or related to the club. And the second one is um, to do with the resilience of the club uh, with respect to obviously the, the cost of living crisis that is, is very topical in the news. Uh, I remember in last season there were some very good uh, schemes to get more people in, for example, with bringing children in f for free, etc. So something along those lines. Yeah. Sorry, my answer is quite quick in terms of the fixture list. You know, we, we're just really excited about getting going and, and playing games and, and being in front of the fans at home games in particular. But, you know, I am nostalgic in a certain way, looking back and stuff like that. But, you know, Ipswich is a club close to my heart. But we're, we're just looking forward to getting out, getting in front of you and actually playing in front of our home fans. And obviously the, the the people that travel away, so that that's an easy one for me. It's just to be in front of you guys and 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 show you what we're trying to do and how we're trying to achieve it. That's the most important thing to me. Yeah, and and in terms of um, operating costs and, and costs of living and what we can do, I think hopefully we've seen you know driven and, and led by Clive, Jay, the board, Harvey and Co that have come on that we've got a job to find a sensitive you know balance between fundraising to ensure that we can work with Mark and Jez to give you guys a competitive team to, to cheer on. Um, there's no doubt there is a direct correlation between pro budget and league finish. Um, we uh, have a model that we aim to finish above that, um, but being realistic, you know, the honesty shout is the days of somebody having the 20th budget and finishing fourth in the league, you know, it, that, that doesn't happen. You know, equally ourselves, you know, since we put the first iteration of the budget together for for next year, I think our operating costs in that short window have gone up by a six-figure sum, just because of you know energy bills, um, the supply chain, um, in terms of the challenges that, that we have. And you know, being being honest with you right now, you know, we sit and look at airports, we sit and look at other industries, and we're trying to get as far ahead of some of the challenges, the operating challenges that we're going to have. I think our job is to try and get the balance right between creating products, creating opportunities for people to get involved and, and, and spend their money with the club without wringing that sponge too dry and without fleecing people. And hopefully you'll feel during my time at the club, you know, working with Clive and under their stewardship, that we've got the balance right more times than we've got wrong. I absolutely hold hands up. We have made mistakes. Um, there's things that if I had my time again, we'd probably do differently. But hopefully, you know, if you give me a tick in the box for the times we've got it right, and, uh, and I know in the box for the times we get it wrong. Hopefully, the you know that the positive column stacks up um, more often, um, you know, than the times we have got it wrong. But we, we have got to be alive to this. We've got to be sensitive to this. You know, we're looking at things, for example, like away journeys. Can we find you know help with carpooling? Can we help with certain things like that? So yeah, we will we'll, we will work as hard as we possibly can to reduce. Um, the, the burden. I've, I've got to say, just I think you all know that we've just um, come back from a trip um, to, to meet Harvey in, in, in San Diego, and I've got to say, I'll be honest, I was absolutely astonished at the, at the price and the cost of attending sports over there. I saw replica shirts for $299, uh, $145. Um, 
and whilst I respect the sports model and, and everything that goes there, you know, I think it at the same time it filled me with pride with in terms of the decisions that we make at the club and how we try to have the fan at heart. But equally, the commercial decisions that we do make are on the basis of trying to move the move the club forward. So I know that's a really long-winded answer, but in a sense, it's a it's a real balance. But we're cognizant and hopefully. Um, as, as things go on throughout the season, we'll, we'll try and work together to, to, to make attending games um, as uh, you know as realistic and as sensitive as we can for, for all fans. Um, oh, getting a funny look there. <laughs> Uh, two questions, really. One, I, I did ask earlier about uh, Clive's role in all this, and I do think that a, you know a good chairman is someone who hires the right people and lets them get on with it. And you know, you hire good executives and you let them execute, basically. Uh, so, basically, I'd like to know about Clive's involvement in you know the running of the club, and also then Mark. Um, when it comes to the interview process, I'd be interested to know whether it was as much a case of you interviewing the club as the club interviewing you. So starting with Clive, first of all, um, we, we joke with him quite often because he's certainly the hardest working chairman in, in football that, that I know of. Um, and equally, he's, um, he's got the only job in the world where he has to pay for the rights to, um, to, to do it. He's, um, yeah, he's incredibly hard working. He's got a real nice balance. You know, I'm glad he's probably not here for me to say this, but he's got a right, you know, he, for me, he's got the right balance between giving us enough space and bandwidth to get on with our job, but, but equally holds us to account and you can feel his presence and you feel his pressures every day, making sure that you want to work hard for him and, and the football club that he's incredibly you know, proud to uh, you know, be the chairman of. Um, his attention to detail is incredible. Um, you know, Jez will tell you, you know, we'll send notes across to the board or we'll, we'll send things. And sometimes, maybe because of the time difference, but it's not that much to South Africa. By the time you wake up the next morning, you've got a full dossier, um, a report and statistics on, on pros and cons and, and can really kind of um, help shape your thinking. And the one thing that does is, you know, joking aside, um, he makes sure you, 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 you've got to do your homework, you've got to be on your ball because... The one thing is, Clive will make sure that you are, because you know, he, he is himself. Um, and before Mark talks about the interview process, the one thing I will say is, just, just so you're all aware, you know, um, it was over 60 hours worth of, of interviews in, in the end um, that took place with a, with a number of candidates. The level of due diligence that was done both pre um, and, and, and meeting was, was, in, was intense, but without question... Um, without embarrassing Mark, you know the, the the thing that shone through was when you meet like-minded people. The level of detail, the due diligence, and absolutely, it should be a two-way interview process. If it's a one-way interview process, um, well, then I think the balance of the relationship starts off on the very wrong foot. So we absolutely expected to be interviewed by Mark as part of his process, and you know I'll leave it for him to put in his own words. Um, but hopefully, again. You know, you've heard and seen from him firsthand this evening as to the qualities, um, you know, our due diligence and our work that we'd done, um, you know, hopefully got us to in, in the overall kind of funnel got us to this point quite quite quickly. But it, it wasn't done um, without absolute oversight and kind of key filters and making sure that the processes we had in place, you know, get us to the right point as as quickly and as efficiently as we could. Yeah, so to answer your question in a nutshell, uh, it was absolutely a two-way thing, and I got to thank, um, you know, these guys here and and Jay and and Clive and the other board members. They were incredibly transparent about the running of the club and the roles from each individual in it. 
what the board looks like, how they go about the plays. Also, football's a small world. Um, and, and, and like the guys have done, and they spend a lot of time referencing and doing various different things. You know, Lincoln was a club that I, myself, and, and, and my agent, when we look at other clubs, and you look at attractive clubs and who's out there, and I've, I've said this to the guys as well. I said it in my... My, my my interview and I can say it openly now that I'm here it was a club that we looked at and thought because of the things we know and the people we know and I know a lot of lads who are loan managers in Premier League and they've you know these guys have presented them time and time again it was a very very impressive operation but where I am incredibly grateful is the transparency from the guys when we went through that process of what the club does how it works how it goes about its business and I think I remember in, in one of the the last interviews when we talked and like not have you any questions because we'd had that it was like I don't think there's anything left to talk about like we literally it, it, you know it wasn't 10 minutes or 2 hours it was hours and hours of chat and but absolutely a two way thing any more <laughs> sorted yeah well <clears throat> okay I think we're uh about done for the Q&A then, which pretty much wraps up the rest of the evening. So once again, just want to say thank you to Mark for joining us. Thank you, Jez. Thank you, Liam. Uh, thank you to Jake, Luke and everyone in the media team for helping us get tonight set up. It's, uh, it's very much appreciated. And thank you to all of you for coming. Um, and hopefully, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you will do. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we'll see you soon. And up the imps. Yeah. Up the imps. around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport. Powered by fans.